Am I ashamed of my body? Our religion, Sikhism, is such a beautiful, powerful religion, and you can find any answer in there. Welcome to Core Collective's second episode of My Body Is Mine Alone. This podcast audio is from a live event that took place in 2019. In episode two, four cores lean towards Sikhi to find connections to their own circumstances and talk about the concept of shame related to one's body. Hello, listeners. This is episode two of Core Collective's podcast on My Body Is Mine Alone. The title of this episode is Am I Ashamed of My Body? In episode one, we heard four Sikh women, Devinder, Sukhi, Harkaran, and Thakdir, explore their personal struggles with self-image. In this episode, Core Collective asks these women if they look towards Sikhi to find solutions or connections relating to self-image and their thoughts on shame concerning one's body. Sikhi values go beyond body image and focus on our mind and soul. Sukhi states that if you read deeply, you can find answers to all your problems in Gurbani. These women seek out the teachings within Sikhi to understand their conflicts and find peace. Shame usually deters women to be proud of how they look. As a woman's body grows from a young girl to a teenager, to a woman, wife, mother, and beyond, we are made to feel ashamed of our weight, size, color, and expressions. These four women recall instances when they faced body shaming and how they dealt with it. You're listening to Core Collective. I feel like it's always a good thing to go back to Sikhi. I feel like there's a lot of demystification that needs to happen of how Sikhi is and the connection with bodies of females, of having space. Can any of you kind of resonate with Sikhi in itself? Are you unpacking material? Is there types of Bani that you're reciting? Are you doing research yourself to connect with Sikhi or is it still kind of a disconnect? And the reason why I'm asking is I feel like I need to, for myself and my own body, still do a lot of research. So do other women feel like this as well? Are you finding, Suki, that you went through Suki, through Bonnie, and tried to find connections for yourself in your own circumstances? I did, but it was more through my mom because she's very religious. I would ask her for guidance. And she always point to different parts of the Bonnie which kind of spoke about infertility. They spoke about, you know, certain people adopting children, which we never really hear about ever. So to me, I did connect on that level. I wish I had explored it a little further. I just haven't had the time to tell you the truth. But I know for a fact that our religion, Sikhism, is such a beautiful, powerful religion. And you can find any answer in there anytime. I remember one time, you know, due to obviously my adoption issues and infertility, my marriage did not last. And I became a single mom. And my daughter was only 18 months at that time. So I had to work full time and look after her all time. And I remember I was sitting there like thinking about the bills, you know, sitting there pondering on how I was going to pay everything and live a life like a luxury life that I was used to. And then my daughter, she was only like, I think, 24 months. And she used to hear me praying because I used to do the friendly body. And then she goes, mom, what does soche soch na hoi mean? And I swear to God, at that point, I just started crying. She goes, mom, you always say soche soch na hoi. 
And then I realized at that time, I go, you know what? I'm here because of her. The reason why I didn't have children, because she was my daughter. She was the chosen daughter for me, because there's no other way I would have ended up in India adopting from an orphanage. You know, I was born in England. I got married in Canada. And I have a daughter from India. So if that's not God's connection, then I don't know what it is. So there's little things that happen in your life, which is basically God telling you these things. We don't see it because we're so blinded by our own ego or everything everyone else is saying to us, right? The Bani itself, we, we have bits and pieces of it in us. It comes out when we need it. If we look deep enough and we read enough, we can find the answer to most of, like I said, our problems. Because it's all in there. Right? But do we do that? No, because we actually start panicking. You know, we don't ever think about going to that. But look how old the Bani is. I think, you know, more respect should be done. Maybe we should read more of it. But then it goes to how it's written. We don't understand how it's written. I actually did write a um, children's book on Sikhism for my daughter because she used to ask me a lot of questions about Sikhism. So hopefully one day I'll publish it. And it basically lays out Sikhism in layman's terms. So everyone can understand it. Because let's face it, the way it's written, it's very difficult to understand it. I agree with her that I think it comes down to understanding it. For me, I grew up in a pretty religious family. So I knew how to read the language, write the language just growing up. But I think it came down to under understanding what they were saying. So slowly, I started just um, looking at the English translations of it, trying to make it come together. And then I think like one day, it just occurred to me when I was like, Sikhism equals equality, right? So I was like, so that part, part's already taken. It's, it's written. It's set in stone. So now what I need to focus on is the next level underneath it which is kind of my purpose and, you know, the Simran and making myself just a better soul. And to somewhat, um, not that I, I knew how, but just through Gurbani and reading it. And I realized, okay, you know what? This is what I need to focus on. I need to not worry about how many more pounds I need to lose or what, how anyone else is judging me. And then I just started growing up. I'd always heard stories of like my Bago and Mother Gujriji and just things like that, you know, just kind of, there was, there's such a strong feminine, like a feminist just presence in the religion. But for me personally, that's what it was. And then I started very small. I started just by Bani's that my mom used to read throughout the day. I'd always hear her do like Rada Saab and Keep Them Swill. I started by just figuring out what those meant because those were the ones that I would see her do every single day. And then slowly, slowly, the one that I resonated with the most was Sukhmani Saib. And even now, every single morning, it plays in my car. Or when I get to work, it just plays in, in my headphones. And especially for, I want to say, the next generation, or even people that are like my age, like late 20s, early 30s. I think religion is such a personal experience. And I think as long as you can just find a part of it that you resonate with, see where your purpose is and try to just make yourself like a clear-minded soul to the best of your ability, it helps so much. Like now I feel like my day's not complete until I you know, listen to Sukhmani Saib. I've also noticed going to the Gurdwara. So my sister's the opposite. She says she doesn't need to go. 
that for her, she can feel that connection anywhere, right? Like the moment she wants to feel the connection, she can. For me, I'm the opposite. I need to go there. So like just like the peace and the connection I feel that I'm when I'm there, I don't feel that anywhere else. So I kind of just made, I remember New Year's resolution, you know? So now on my lunch break, on my way home from work, just a quick, like even if it's just five minutes, just to go in, do matadik, come out, you know? So I try to do that two, three times a week. And I think, I don't think anyone has the answers. I think you can just find what works for you. That's amazing. I listen to Sukhmani Sab every day as well. My mom told me to listen to it too. Wow. Do you guys want to share anything as well? So... For me, Sikhi is very new. I don't have the language as much. Like my Punjabi is not super great. I'm just learning Gurmukhi. I can barely write my name. For me, I find that I can't access it as much from the grunt side. So I've been pushing this book on everybody. It's called The Birth of the Khalsa, A Feminist Rememory of Sikh Identity. It was written 10 years ago in English. It has been so helpful for me because it's written in English, which is accessible. Guninder talks about the women who were part of the birth of Sikhism, the birth of the Khalsa. So Mata, Jitoji, Guru Nanak's first wife, correct me if I'm wrong on that, uh, who put the sugar, the sugar puffs in the Amrit. He talks about how he, they, she, doesn't matter what pronouns we use. They talk about how in Sikhism, it's not immaculate conception. Like the world didn't just come about through magic. It was part of it. Magic was part of it. But people had sex and then they had babies. And that's very much part of Sikhism is that humanity, the non-human world, all of this exists because of hormones. We're all here because our one of our parents had a period and that's very real. So in this text, she talks about how the crimson flow, the blood is a reminder of our humanity and a reminder for us to tap into the land as well and honor the land, honor the water. Water is life. So that's my introduction into Sikhi is going into it through my eyes and interest into periods and menstruation and seeing where the processes of childbirth, menstruation, which were often seen from more conservative, I like to use the term patriarchal positions, were seen as pollution, were seen as something that needed to be covered up. But in Sikhi, that's not the case. They're written about as things that are very beautiful, that are necessary for life in order for us to all come together. And the other piece for Sikhi that uh, I really am drawn to is the langar, the food. The food is very important. So I have my Instagram page where I offer free information that's uh, core-centric about periods and menstruation. And I also do client work. So I work with clients. I uh, work with a lot of menstruators and they bring me their problems about periods, about menstruation, heavy flows, painful periods, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, so many different things, names that doctors in English have given to our bodies. And sometimes the main thing that I notice is that people, because of weight stigma, because of social media, because of anti-body positivity, a lot of people just aren't able to have the time to 
feed themselves and nourish themselves. For me, in Sikhi, so much of our practice is around making sure everybody has food, right? Langar is so important and such a necessary part of Sikhi for me. So I'll also say that, that when we're talking about body image and we're talking about exercise, there is a such thing as over-exercising and not eating enough. And that's something that we really need to talk about as well. Religion is something very personal. And how I grew up and my husband grew up, so both our fathers were teachers and very much um, into Sikhism and Gurbani and really learning the essence of it. So when it's so funny how the, the two of us kind of grew up in parallel households. So what we were told is how you lead your life is so very important. And I apologize to anybody whose beliefs are different. Not so important that you get up every morning and you read the Gurbani, but more important that you know what Guru Nanak Dev Ji's teachings were and that every single day you try and lead your life accordingly. And that's a message that has struck very strongly with both of us. But having said that, Gurbani is such a reference and such a strength for both of us. We, in the morning, every morning, uh, we play shoved in the household. And while you're just doing everyday chores, there are so many thoughts and questions that are being answered in that moment. And I find that the shabd for me bring you to that level where life is simple. Because that's all it is, is at the end of the day, you're just trying to be a human that is serving other human beings and trying to be the best that you can be. So Gurbani, always, always, anytime you have a question, anytime you're upset, you're, somebody said something, some, there's something you can refer to. And a lot of times for me, it's really very important that I understand. So I will sometimes take a paragraph or I will listen to the, the Shabbat and say, I wonder what it, it sounds beautiful, but what is the essence of it? So thank goodness for Google that I will go to Google and say, okay, what do those few lines mean? And so many of life's questions are answered in that. And, and that's a legacy I would like to pass on to my children. I think we're blessed to, to have this religion that has all the answers. We just have to get away from the cultural um, scene and really focus on what the Gurbani is, is teaching us and live by it. Don't tell me you get up every morning, you read it, good for you. I want to know how are you living it? How are you living what Guru Gobind Singh Ji, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, and all the gurus in between? How, how do they teach? And their teachings are above and beyond anything else. Not just the gurus who are obviously very important. I love them. We'll say guru is a female word as well. So like the females that were part of the movement. So the female counterparts. I really love where the direction of this conversation is going. How are you battling shame in your body? I was very ashamed of myself for not having a baby. I'll be honest with everyone. Very disappointed that I couldn't conceive, couldn't carry a baby. You know, still, sometimes I feel like I missed out. The worst thing was when I was adopting, I was made to feel ashamed of that by my family and friends. Why are you adopting? What if the child is not a Jat? What if the child is not a Sikh? What if it's a Hindu? What if it's black? What if it's white? That shame, I actually suppressed that shame 
because I, I told people, look, you're married to your husband, you're married to your wife. Do you not love your wife? Do you not love your husband? Relationships do not necessarily have to come from blood. You know, they can be made, they're made through marriage. And adoption is nothing to be ashamed of. It was made to be something that I should have been ashamed of. I was actually very happy to share the fact that I had adopted. I didn't keep it a secret from anyone, not from my family or friends. And even my in-laws at the time were like, you just go to India, you hide out there for nine months, come back, bring the child and say it's yours. And then when I refused to do that, it was like, well, get a boy. You don't want a girl. And so even when I came back with photographs of Anaya, my daughter, my in-laws refused to look at the pictures. My mother-in-law actually turned her head around and says, because of those things, I was made to feel ashamed of the situation, but I rose above it. And I said, no, I'm not going to be ashamed of this. It's a beautiful thing that God has brought me to, and I'm not going to hide it. I was never ashamed of the adoption part. I wasn't even ashamed of the infertility because it wasn't really my fault, you know, that I had endometriosis. And I tried to treat it. I tried my best. And I think with our culture, going back to the culture, they do try to make you feel like you're less worthy. It's almost like they're getting some kind of gratitude from making you feel less of a person. So to me, it's more like if you have a problem, let's speak about it. Let's make it so that it's not something we're ashamed of. So for me... I feel like the word shame was just my identity. I feel like that's just what I was um, um, in all aspects until my mid-20s, like late 20s, actually, you know, um, that's just what it was. And obviously, Sikhism had nothing to do with it, you know, because Sikhism doesn't, doesn't teach that. Um, it just all had to do with the culture. Um, just like she's saying, you know, it's like Sikhism teaches acceptance and love. And that's not what was happening. I remember the day I decided that I was going to start my own clothing line. Um, it's called Gundan Suits. I'll also plug it in there, just like she plugged it, House of Gundan. Um, the day I started that was because I was at File Business Center. And I went to go buy myself a suit. And the lady was like, you know, so this is not recent. Like we're talking about when I was like 254 pounds. And the lady was like, sorry, we, we don't carry sizes above 42. And I was like, oh, and that was the day I was like, you know what? I need to make my own clothes. It was just so interesting how this whole country of like a billion people had come up with this size range. Indian girls do not wear, like you can't go above 42. That's, that's just what it is. I feel just every door I knocked on was a sense of shame. How I tried to do this art form, Bhangra, which was actually supposed to be my outlet, which actually just ended up being nine years of shame. You know, I've been in it for 13 years. The last four or five years have, have been great. Even when I started my clothing line, I, re I remember there was this sense of like, how are you going to know how to dress people when you can't even figure out your own body? It's like, you can't go to anyone. Like I would go to my siblings. Like my siblings, siblings are Canadian born and raised. My brother is 25. And they would just be like, but her Karen, it would just be so much easier. Why don't you just lose the weight? Where are you supposed to get the support from when it's these people thinking, oh, but my parents are like the Indian mentality. So you turn to your siblings because they're born and raised here. But when their response is also, well, your life would just be so much easier. Why don't you just do it? You know, like that sort of stuff from the day I knew that I was overweight, which was probably first told to me 
maybe at the age of 10 or 11 to the age of 27, 28, I want to say my second identity was shame. Like that's just what, that's who I was as a person. Thank you both for sharing that. Do you guys want to add anything? There is so much shame around periods and menstruation. It's actually shocking. I was once told by somebody that they'd never met anybody who loved periods before. That's how deep-rooted the shame is, is when I ask, I like to just kind of put people on their heads. When I do these workshops, the last question that I ask people is, what do you love most about periods? doesn't matter what their gender are, whether they bleed or not. I just ask people to try and answer that question. And it really trips people up. They have never been asked that before. So there's so much shame around it. The menstrual cycle isn't just about vaginas and ovaries and uterus. That's a big part of it. But our body is a whole. Our body is also connected to our mind and spirit. For a lot of the reason that people get put on hormonal birth control is not just for birth control. It's for things that doctors called acne and pimples and irregular cycles. These are all labels that doctors place on us. And because of that, there's so much shame around it. Pimples are seen as like literally a blight on the face of society. So much of the messaging that we hear is around having clear skin, fair skin, having a certain type of body, looking a certain way. And there's so much internalized shame around that. When I came off birth control, it's not an easy process because what the pill does, not just the pill, but any synthetic hormone. So IUDs, hormonal IUDs, the shot, Depo-Provera. We haven't talked about queerness yet on this. So there's a lot of shame around sexuality. I will just make a note that in South Asia, polysexuality, homosexuality, et cetera, was like celebrated and amazing up until colonization. Just like body hatred around that, that that's something that I'm trying to do with my work around I'm with periods is telling people, your pimples look gorgeous. Your body is amazing. You look so hot today. No matter whether they fit what society is telling us is beautiful or not. I have to still say the best thing that's happened is the stopping of that period. (laughs) Oh, it's a bliss. (laughs) Yes, menopause is also beautiful. I love talking about menopause and perimenopause. There's that sentiment of like, oh, thank God they're over, you know? They're just inconvenient. They're a blessing because of them. We have humanity that moves forward. No denying that. But as a female... I know every time there was a wedding in the family and I was going to be the MC, and my day was going to start at 4 a.m. and go till like 2 a.m., my period would start. <laughs> and so it's, it's a bliss, but it's nice to, to finally be like, I'm past the, okay. the menopause. <laughs> what I want to talk about is shame around aging. I recently celebrated my 57th birthday and I'm very proud of it. I have wrinkles. I have round tummy, I have body aches, and I have to struggle to get myself to the gym. I watch what I eat, not I don't diet, but I treat my body and feed it very nutritional food. But what I hate is when us women put shame around our age. Oh, but I don't want to tell anybody how old I am. My goodness, I have seen people die when they're 20. And the whole world literally cries because what an age to be gone at. So if you're celebrating one more year, it's a blessing. It's a privilege. 
So I think we need to all change our mindset around aging and things that come with it. Yes, you lose your eyesight. I was like here and then I went here and then we we're talking about increasing the font. I'm beyond that. Now it's like, where are my glasses? I can't do. So literally, they're like right here. They're reading glasses, so I can't wear them all the time. Accepting those things at the same time, being excited for the next phase of your life. Maya Angelou, who's like one of my favorite females, a poet and feminist and all of the above. Somebody asked her at 83, what was your best age? She said, I'm living it right now. Who says only 20 is awesome? My gosh, I know I would never be 20 again. I love being 57. That's why my blog's called Fabulous 55. And I truly, truly I'm trying to make a difference in my own way to the way we live life and and our outlook on life. I think shame is the most detrimental emotion we can create in other humans by judging them. And it's the worst emotion. We have to start controlling what we let go through. And I I think it's so difficult when it's your other half or your your mother-in-law or somebody in the family telling you there's something wrong with you that's most horrible. But what I'm talking about is general public and people out there. Let's not let everybody's opinion bother us. If they're judgmental and they, they don't have anything better than to judge you, it's not worth it for you to take their opinion and let it affect you. So somewhere we have to learn to create that barrier and connect with God and say, I'm created by God. I'm connected to God. And that's where you sit down and and do part or understand part, or you sit down and you meditate and you connect with that higher power and say, other human beings don't control me. I control me or that power above that has created all of us. That's who created me. And that's who I'm answerable to. That's who I am being guided by. Self-reflection. How has Sikhi strengthened your body image? Are you ashamed of your body? Why do others shame you? How do you overcome body shame? Exercise. Read Gurbani and find pieces that resonate with you or your situation. Are you able to find answers to your problems in Sikhi? In episode 3, these women talk about other barriers to body image social media influence, and the lack of conversations around the topic. This is Core Collective's podcast on My Body Is Mine Alone. Thank you for listening.